Today's Bible reading is Colossians 3, verse 16 to 17. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Amen. Good morning again, everyone. I just wanted to ask or hope that you had a great week this week, spurring each other on. Did you, did you actually manage to step into some of that stuff from last week? I think these weeks are, are profoundly practical, what we're going through at the moment, this series. I mean, I, I'm not imagining that this week in our series, many people are leaving our sermons thinking, oh my goodness, that was the cleverest, most intellectually stimulating thing I've ever heard, right? These one another's are, by their nature, simple and very practical. Offer one another hospitality without grumbling. It's like you don't go away thinking through, I wonder what that means, and let's wrestle that down. It's like, no, you go and you offer one another hospitality without grumbling. So my heart and my prayer is that this week you had a great deal of fun and encouragement as you stepped into that, spurring one another on in their love and good deeds. So that's my hope and my prayer and, and certainly my, my encouragement is that you haven't yet done that and make sure you do that today, um, this week, think through even over morning tea, how could you kind of encourage someone in their walk with God, how could you come alongside someone and just affirm what you see in them or give them courage to live for Jesus in the places and the relationships and the circumstances that they are currently placed by him in, does that make sense? Yeah, I think so too. So if you are just joining us this week, we are in this series that looks at the one another's in the New Testament. 59 times there is this Greek word used throughout the New Testament that is most often translated in our English translations as one another or sometimes each other. And these instructions are always profoundly direct and practical and they cause us to live stuff out. And when taken together, I think they paint a beautiful picture of what this can be, of what the community of faith is as we live, as we interact, as we speak with, as we live among, as we minister with, as we co-labor for Christ with one another. Uh, and it is because it is this beautiful picture, I think it's this invitation for us to together increasingly step into this pattern of being with each other. And this week and last week, I think, go together very tightly. Uh, I see them being at two sides of the same coin. So last week, where we looked at what it meant to have a positive spiritual impact on each other, today we want to look at what it means to one another to guard. That is, how do we help keep each other on track, spiritually, morally, even theologically, in the ways that we live? And now I'm bringing this message today, uh, it's not coming with that sense or that everybody is about to have an absolute train wreck in their personal lives and you need a hero alongside you to save you from really dumb decisions. It's not that at all. It's actually that this is a key marker of what it means to have a healthy, mature, spiritual life. And I think this is a key marker of what it means to be a healthy and mature spiritual community. Uh, that in our interactions with each other, that we have people who are invited and who have permission to actually speak into our lives, maybe even to, to call us on some things, 
certainly to be for us and to be praying for us, that we would continue not only spurring one another on, but we would also watch each other's backs a little bit to make sure that Jesus stays number one in our lives and in our lifestyles. I love what Paul writes to the church in Rome. So he writes to the church in chapter 15, uh, and he says, I myself, my brothers and sisters, are convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. Paul writes to a collection of individuals, a, a church that was located in Rome, and he says, look, I know that you have genuine and real faith, that you've come to place Jesus as your Lord and Savior. As far as I'm concerned, you are a brother or sister in the faith. And I know that you're not just saying that. I know that you're not just going to church or identifying as a Christian for some sort of weird motive or or half-hearted, whatever it is. I know that you're actually filled with goodness. And I don't see you as a group of individuals as being like baby Christians that still need instruction or being really loose with the truth and, and needing correction, but that you are actually filled with knowledge. And because of this, you actually have the capacity. You are able to instruct guide, shepherd, teach one another when it comes to life and faith and what it means to live for Jesus. And then he goes on in the next verse, yet, yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again. You see, sometimes we need to be reminded quite firmly and strongly to walk in what we already know to be true, don't we? Sometimes we need to be encouraged to hold fast to that which we already believe to be true. Sometimes we need to be strengthened to live in a way that we have already purposed to live in, but are finding that hard in the moment. Sometimes we need to be supported as we work through disappointments or doubts, even as we confess with our lips that God is good and Jesus is Lord and I want to live for him. Sometimes we actually need to be challenged that something in our life or something in our doctrine isn't, isn't quite matching up with what we say we believe about the scriptures or what we say we want to do with our lives, that is to live for Jesus. And sometimes we might even need to be confronted when our behavior or our lifestyle is in conflict with our declaration that Jesus is our Lord. This is one anothering to God. That in the context of loving, gospel-centered relationships, We minister and are ministered to in ways that help keep us and others on track spiritually, morally, theologically. Does that make sense? And I know that this is profoundly countercultural in our lives, and I know this can be confronting. So at the front, I want to say that this is not actually anything to do with about being each other's moral policemen or lifestyle adjudicators or even theological inquisitors. Right? It's about genuinely loving each other enough that our desire for them is that they would walk in the fullness of life that Christ has won for them. And when we live and we relate to each other with that heart and that desire, then we know that the best thing for that brother or the best thing for that sister is to walk in close connection with their Lord and Saviour Jesus. We know that the best thing for that brother or the best thing for that sister is for them to be in the centre of God's will for them. That is where the fullness of life is found as a follower of Jesus, as they live for him in all things. Does that make sense? So as a preacher, there are, there are some sermons that just carry more emotional weight to them than others. And this is one for me. I look back over, over my life and 
I can see time and time again the importance of this one anothering to guard, to keep each other on track. I remember really clearly a friend of ours was making a, a series of decisions that was going to have some really catastrophic impact on their marriage and, and on his and her lives for, for many years to come. And this was a believer who had great, godly, Christian friends in their life that was highly connected and plugged into a local church and to, and to a small group and, and was serving and, and on all that sort of stuff. Um, and yet I watched as, I have to admit, myself and others shied away from having just a good, honest, robust, vulnerable conversation with him. Just going, hey, what's, what's going on for you in this? Can you invite us in to walk alongside you in this? I think of times in my own life where I failed spectacularly and in the same breath knew that I was surrounded by really wise, loving, godly brothers and sisters plugged into a local church and on reflection sit there and go, man, how did nobody come alongside me and just say, can you talk to me about this? What's going on here? And ask that kind of question. I've seen friends over the years who have wandered away from their faith completely. And I just wonder if anywhere on the years that led them up to that decision, if they had just reached out and invited somebody in uh, and actually voiced their doubts and just say, I need somebody who can just hear me in this and stand with me in this, what would have happened? Now, everybody is personally responsible, obviously, for their life and their decisions. And yet the scriptures for me paint a picture, a beautiful picture of what it means to be so loving and so together, so invested in each other's uh, growth and sanctification, that there is just this beautiful one-anothering that happens naturally and wonderfully and beautifully that builds each other up. Colossians 3, which was just read for us, I think sets the context for this. So the instruction is to teach and admonish one another, to guide, to warn, to Sometimes rebuke, admonish means. And it's sandwiched in between these two beautiful things. The first is that we need to let the message of Christ, we actually need to let the gospel dwell among us richly. And then it's also set in the context of verse 17. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So, so in between this beautiful sense of, well, this is the gospel story. This is who Jesus is. And then this is how and why we want to live for him. In your one anothering, we actually need to to be proactive at teaching, instructing, guiding, uh, admonishing where necessary, even rebuking one another, so that we continue to live on the foundation that is Christ and live out of our desire to bring him honour and glory in all we do. And there is obviously a, a specific application in regards to our singing, which is really interesting there in Colossians 3, which we won't touch on today. But it is because of Jesus and because of our desire to live for him that we need these kind of relationships, isn't it? Relationships where we can be open, where we can be honest with each other, where we can be vulnerable. The kind of relationships where someone says, you know what, I care about how your spiritual life is going. I actually care about how you're living for Jesus. And I'm actually going to ask you some questions that maybe help us open a conversation about that. These kinds of relationships where we spur one another on and keep each other on track, I think are really needed and it's really wise to have in the Christian life and the Christian walk. So the first thing you need to ask yourself, obviously, is do I have these people in my life and do I let them speak into my life? If you're a note taker, this is going to be one of those simple, you've got to go do something messages. So the first point is to find, cultivate and commit 
to relationships where this happens. Find wise, godly Christians who know you, who love you, who are for you, and who aren't afraid to speak into your life. That is, they're not afraid to teach and admonish you in light of the gospel and in light of your call as a Jesus follower to live for him in whatever you do, whether in word or in deed. Then you want to invite and you want to give them permission to speak into your life. Right? And that doesn't have to be some sort of formal thing where you sit down there and there's some kind of contractual obligation. It's just that you know that they have permission to speak into your life and they know that they have permission to speak into your life. Uh, and the important caveat there is to actually commit to listen to them when they do. So these are the kinds of people who are going to ask that probing question or who are actually going to say, hey, look, I've really just noticed this about you and, and don't, don't take this the wrong way, but just... I want to know what your heart is in that thing that you're doing, or that decision that you seem to be making, or whatever it is. So automatically, we're not talking about this happening with every single believer you ever meet, okay? Realistically, we're talking about a handful of people in your lives, maybe some mentors, formal or informal, maybe some accountability partners that you do have a bit more of a formal thing with. Maybe it's your small group or, or part of your small group or just some close Christian friends. But whether you have them or not, I encourage you to seek these out in your life. Value these people in your life and the role that they play in your ongoing sanctification and invest in these relationships in your life as well. I often hear um, people say, I I would love to have that, Travis, but I I just don't seem to have those sorts of people in my life. So I would encourage you to find and cultivate those sorts of friendships and those sorts of godly relationships, gospel-centered relationships. But my little pro tip and my little pushback is that chances are you already have these people in your life. You just haven't gone to that level of relationship with them yet. So take the dive, be bold, be courageous, and get real and get vulnerable with those godly, wise Christian people who are in your life. These relationships are often marked by love, grace, trust, courage, vulnerability, and openness. And all I'd ask you this morning is to consider who is that for you and who are you being that for? So I love chatting to people who are far down the journey of faith, much more than me. People who have been following Jesus for decades longer than I have, or people who there's something about their life or their ministry or their, could be their marriage, whatever it is that, that I really look up to and respect and admire. And it's been my observation over the years that, that often those who progress the furthest in the Christian life seem to have these kind of relationships in place, seem to deliberately seek them out and delight in them. They're not a scary thing for them. They're not a confronting thing for them. This is not something that, you know, there's a wet blanket on their lives, that they actually find this is a life-giving thing to have brothers and sisters who are positioned around them to champion their faith and to champion their walk with God. And that sometimes means being a little bit of a mirror to reflect things uh, that, that may be need addressing uh, in their lives. So I think it's a real joy um, to have these kind of people in their lives. Uh, I remember sitting across the table from someone I I really respect, and they actually said, look, here's my diary of my quiet times. Anytime we meet up, you're more than welcome to open this up and have a look at how and when I've been spending time with God and whether or not I've been neglecting it. Like, that's a serious bit of vulnerability and honesty, uh, isn't it? 
I remember another mate coming up to me at one point a couple of years ago, and he just said, hey, listen, Travis, this is my area of struggle, this is my weakness, this is the temptation stuff that I need to journey through, and yet I've decided to follow Jesus, and I want to follow him in this. I'm just letting you know, and I'm giving you permission to ask me questions about how I'm doing in this area at any time. That's a little bit different from how the world does relationships, isn't it? At times, that's a little bit different to how we do relationships with each other. But I'm actually convinced we rob ourselves and each other of an amazing blessing when we are closed off to these kinds of relationships. My experience has been when I'm in gospel-centered relationships like this, that it opens the floodgates for the Holy Spirit to do a work in my life that just otherwise simply would not have been possible. So find, cultivate, and commit to relationships where this happens. Find your handful of people. Give them permission to love you enough to champion your walk with Jesus uh, and, where necessary, even give you that little bit of guiding, correcting feedback that will hopefully only further spur you on in your love and your affection and in your walk with Jesus. And so once you've found them, you obviously need to do something that's even scarier. You need to let them into your inner world. Not only do you need these kind of people in your life, you actually need to let them into your inner world. They actually need to know what's really going on for you at uh, any moment. And so uh, the letter to James, or sorry, James's letter that we have in the New Testament reminds us that the part of this one anothering is to confess our sins to each other and to pray for each other so that we would be healed. And he acknowledges that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. And this is set in the context of those who are sick because of sin, uh, and yet I think the broader principle applies, that part of our one-anothering in the context of these handful of close, gospel-centered relationships is a confession of sin. And he reminds us that actually whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them. And so it's actually a beautiful thing to come alongside a brother or sister and help them avoid the consequences of living outside of God's will. Galatians 6 verse 2 reminds us to to carry each other's burdens and that as we do, we actually fulfill the law of Christ. And yet it's really hard to have people who will be able to come alongside you and help carry your burdens if you never tell them the burdens that you're carrying. It's really hard to have a brother or sister come alongside you and say, well, let's, let me support you, let me debrief, let's, let's work through what you're struggling to believe or the doubts that you currently have if you never, ever open up to them and say, you know what, I'm finding this really hard to take hold of in my life right now. It's really hard to have people in your corner championing you and cheering you on as you step into what God, uh, you believe God has called you to if you never actually are brave enough to share with somebody, you know, I have this sense from the Holy Spirit, I think he's calling me to do this in my workplace or to to leave this and start this thing over here. We actually need to invite each other in, into our inner world. We need to be real and we need to be open. We need to be vulnerable. We need to be courageous with each other. And as we do, we invite the body to work as the body was meant to do. This beautiful one anothering to guard and to spur each other on. I've already shared a, a time in my life where I was acting in in ways that that in no way aligned with what I believed or how I should be living. And I was surrounded by really godly, wise, Christian brothers and sisters at the time. 
And in the same way that I kind of look back and be like, oh, come on, why, got, why didn't you guys just, just say something or, or ask that probing question or say, look, it seems like you're struggling with this, can we help? The reverse is true as well, that I never reached out and asked for or shared or got courageous and vulnerable with them and invited them into that space with me. My experience over the years is that a, that a burden shared is a burden halved. I know that's like a horrible cliche thing, but when we invite people in to share our burdens, uh, there is a lightening of the load because more people are carrying that load. When we bring things into the light, they lose their power. When we invite people into our lives to speak truth into our lives, it amplifies the truth of God in our lives and it's able to silence sometimes the, the lie of the enemy in our lives. And yet none of that stuff happens if we're closed off to, if we have the big walls up and we keep things surface and simple and safe with each other. We actually need to go to the real place, to the raw place, to the honest and vulnerable place with each other. And then I think as we do, we open avenues for God's grace to work in powerful ways in our lives. That ongoing process of sanctification, and I genuinely believe that around the throne of God in eternity, these are some of the things that will be celebrated because eternally significant things happened in our lives or in the lives of those we're ministering to because we went and we got real with each other. Find these people, let them into your inner world. They need to know what's really going on. So I just ask you that question, who in your life right now knows what's really going on? What you're battling, what you're struggling, maybe a decision that you're wrestling with God about. Who in your life knows what's really going on? And obviously the third part of this is, well, we're called to be that blessing for others as well. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 writes, Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, uh, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love. So, so he's writing to the church saying, hey, that you know that there are people in your lives who are doing this, who actually are caring for you in the Lord. Not just caring about you, but how you're going in your walk with God, in your devotion to him, and where necessary, they're even doing that little guiding, correcting, rebuking, admonishing work. So hold them in highest regard, because they are such a valuable blessing to you. And this is 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 12 and 13. And then he flips it and says, and now we urge you as well to warn those. Same sort of idea as admonish. And then there's a list. Those who are idle and disruptive, encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everybody, always strive to do what is good for each other. So not only are we invited to have this ministry to us, these lovely gospel-centered relationships where people are going to guard and help keep us on track and spur us on in our love and our affections for Jesus, but then we're urged to do likewise for each other. Now, you may have no idea how to do that or even where to start. Maybe you've got some close Christian friends and you guys are regularly catching up all the time but hardly ever going to the real places and you don't know how to do this. This is my little possible suggestion. Everybody seems to have ABCs for everything now. So this is my little ABCs. As you think through, how do I encourage this person in their walk with Jesus? How do I help them live for him? How do I kind of watch their back and then for them in the way that they're living this out? Kind of you can think through their affections, behaviors, convictions, doctrine, and emotions. What is going on in their heart when it comes to kingdom things and idols and just their love for Jesus? Is that waxing? Is that waning? It's a little bit like last week, you know, firing up each other's love and devotion for Jesus. There's some very clear things that the Bible says that we are called to and 
called not to in the scriptures, in the way that we live. So that's obviously a really simple and easy one to be watching out for in each other's lives. Convictions there as well. And there's lots of secondary issues that are really important for us as we work through doctrine. Hopefully we've got that all fairly good here, but it's always nice just to have people who are going to be like, wait, where'd you get that one from in the scripture, buddy? Yeah, anyways, but hopefully we're all full of knowledge and goodness and are able and competent to instruct each other in that as well. But I do think that doctrine thing is particularly important because what we believe does impact the way that we live and we behave. And that emotion one is, I think, a really important one. Are we disappointed with God at the moment? Are we finding it really hard to love our neighbour as ourselves? What's going on in our seat of emotion? Very quickly, on behaviour... If you are in the right relationship with somebody and it's gospel-centered and you have permission and you are invited in to speak into their lives and you see something that you think does need addressing, the scriptures address this very clearly, I think, in Galatians chapter 6. It just says, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves as well. I think this is a, a really lovely framework for this. At times, Christians have been known to be judgmental. Has everyone, everyone experienced that? Hopefully not. Uh, and, and sometimes quite confrontational in the way that they address uh, behavior in the lives of each other. The scriptures call us to have a profoundly spirit-led nature to the way that we interact with each other. If you are a close friend of someone and you have been invited in and been given permission in general to speak into their lives and you form the conviction that there is actually something you want to draw attention to in their lives, it needs to be a spirit-led moment. How is God leading me to respond to this? Have I heard from him correctly? Is, Is this something I'm projecting onto them based on an experience I've had or is this genuinely what God is wanting to use me or how God is wanting to use me in this relationship? And then it needs to be profoundly gentle, um, and, and with an aim to restore them, being very self-aware of what's going on for you as well. There is definitely that idea that we need to watch ourselves, that we may not be tempted. So for some of us, if we're addressing an area of, of sin or, or maybe a changed, changed position, doctrinal position, um, we don't want to end up forming the same opinion as them. But more often than not, I think what is had in view here in verse 2 and and verse 3 is that log in the eye, speck in the other's eye kind of stuff. That We don't want to feel somehow that we've got it more together than them or we're better than them or we're kind of excusing all the sin in our lives but just focusing on on their sin or coming with any kind of sense of self-righteousness or or judgment or or trying to put on religious burdens onto somebody else that is just just not there, which is one of Jesus' main criticisms of the Pharisees. If you ever read the the woe to you, scribes and Pharisees um, passage in Luke, so we need to be very self-aware and have a very good mirror up to our own lives into our own hearts and our own motives if we're to step into this. Listen to what God is saying. Invite him in. Pray about it before, long before, and then with gentleness and with a heart to restore that person, then maybe kick into that conversation with them. That all makes sense, doesn't it? You're all very quiet. But you are listening. So I think you know the importance of it. I want to end in a strange way. So on Tuesday, Tuesdays, I get to hang out with Emily, my daughter. She's about 19 months old at the moment, and she's an absolute gem. And this Tuesday, 
It was really hot. I don't know if you caught that news uh, article, but it was really hot and it was going to be, continue to be a hot day. But I don't want her cooped up in, in all, day, all day and I know that she loves uh, the park and I know that she would really in, enjoy doing that. So, so we went to the park, uh, daddy and daughter go to the park knowing that it's going to be hot, knowing that the sun's going to come up. So we do this kind of first thing in the morning. Now I am for my daughter. There is no, absolutely no doubt about that, I think, in anyone's mind. And I love my daughter. It's, it's, she's up there with cars and coffee and K and Jesus, okay? So... You know, like, I love her, really love her. And I am aware that the fullness of life for Amelie in this moment is, is, is she actually needs to go and she needs to play and she wants to play and I want her to have that experience. But I am also aware, as someone who is for her and maybe has, who has a different perspective and vantage on her life, that she is a pasty white girl uh, and that sun is fierce and it is strong. So we go to the park and I make sure that she's wearing her hat. And then we get the sunscreen out and we put some sunscreen on her arms and the back of her neck and there's a little hole in a t-shirt and we, we make sure that there's sunscreen, like a deliberate hole. Uh, we make sure there's sun, you know, a manufactured hole. Anyways, it doesn't matter. We make sure there's, there's sunscreen on that and it's, you know, it's, nine, it's 9.30 in the morning, this is not the middle of the day and we go and play on, on this play equipment, which isn't much in shade. And I find myself during the course of the morning standing in such a way that she ends up playing in my shadow that I'm aware the sun is there and I'm aware the damage it can cause. I'm personally feeling it. <laughs> feeling it. And so I'm just going, look, I, I, I want you to thrive and I want you to experience life as I think it's intended for you to be experienced. But I am just on guard a little bit. I am watching your back. I am acting in a way that is for you, that's not, going, that's not going to mean this day is going to turn into a disaster and there's going to be horrible consequences for you to experience um, after our lovely play in the park. I just think when it comes to the community of faith, I was sitting there as I was standing there. This is it, isn't it? That we love each other. That we are for each other. That we want each other to thrive in your walk with Jesus and the way you're living for him in your workplace or how you're experiencing through the week or what following Jesus looks like in your marriage. We're for each other. That we love each other. And yet we are also aware of the unique uh, temptations or, or dangers that each other faces. And we are, we're, we're that for each other, that we are guarding each other, that we are loving each other enough to help keep us on track in our love for Jesus and the way that we're living for him. So wherever this message lands for you today, I'm encouraging you, like every single week of this series, don't think about it, don't discuss it. What is God calling you to do about it? Maybe some of you have been carrying a burden or a doubt or a situation you don't see any way out of for far too long and you have not invited a wise, godly brother or sister who absolutely loves you and would bend over backwards to have that conversation with you and to pray for you and to carry that burden alongside you. Invite them in. Maybe for some of you this morning you just go, I don't have those people in my life and it's time to maybe search them out or find them or to actually have a conversation with some people who are already in your life about could we maybe make this a bit more real and get a bit more honest and vulnerable with each other and can I invite you into that maybe some of you are like oh my goodness I need to jump into this straight now I don't have time to cultivate this and grow towards this with my friends ask a mentor they kick off with the intentionality of wise honest feedback prayer intercession counsel and you just go to that place straight away. Maybe for some of us, we're like, actually, the Spirit has been prompting me to have a conversation or just ask a question of a friend in a gentle, in a loving way, but I can't just sit on the sidelines and 
let them keep playing in the sun. So whatever it is for you, I encourage you to do that. And it's my firm belief and conviction that if we are actually doing this as a family of believers, that we're going to see incredible life transformation. We are those who are being conformed, formed, moulded, transformed into the image of Jesus. And having brothers and sisters who are with us in that journey is so incredibly valuable. So I encourage you, be real with each other. Find that handful of people. Do the hard stuff with each other because you will be blessed as you do and God will be glorified and the church of Jesus will continue to power on as we live for him in all things.